the Televerse podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor of PopOptics.com, and I'm joined this week by one of the writers at PopOptic, as well as one of the staff writers over at Vague Visages, uh, Mr. Max Bloodstein. Max, welcome to the podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it almost was a light week in TV for me this week just because there were a couple shows that took the week off and it's it's feeling kind of crazy. I did finish watching Justice League, which is the thing I watched most of last week but not all of, but it feels a little a little odd uh to me. Now, as I understand it, you are a they have a healthy relationship with television, which means you watch a handful of shows. <laughs> I watch a handful of shows. Yeah, right now I'm watching uh Fargo, The Leftovers and uh The Muppets. Uh, and I've also I was busy covering uh, the Festival de Nouveau Cinema in Montreal, um, so that cut significantly into my television time. Um, but yes, I uh, I have a more modest intake, shall we say, of television. Fair enough. Uh, well, in any films you, that our our listeners should look out for. Yes. Um, well, I reviewed it on the site, uh, but Gaspar Noé's Love. I think it's really outstanding, um, and I I show for it one because I think it's outstanding, but two because um, the most of the critical reaction I've seen I feel like is sort of ignoring what I think is so important about it. Um, if you don't know, it's a film with unsimulated sex in 3D, um, which I believe is the first time, at least in sort of more mainstream cinema, that those two things have been combined. Um, and a lot of what I've read about it is just sort of commenting on the fact that those two things are happening and not acknowledging maybe what happens in the sex or how the sex is used. Um, and I, I think it's a powerful film. And so um, I encourage everybody to see it. Very interesting. Well, yeah, because I would imagine there is more than just sex in the movie. I'm just going to go on a limb here. There's more than just sex. Uh, I mean, honestly, a lot of it is sex um but through that sex there's a lot i mean a lot can be told about the ways in which people interact through through the ways people in which people interact um outside of sex a lot can be understood through the ways they interact when they're having sex um and that's how a lot of the characterization happens um which is not something that I've seen in film too often and I think is a very sort of powerful tool, um, which is um, part of why I hope that people see it and perhaps encourage more filmmakers to approach um, really just romantic narrative um, in this sort of fashion. Interesting. Well, I look forward to going back to the site and checking out your review because you've piqued my interest. Now, as I know you are aware, Max, Pop Optic is currently holding a fundraiser for the website to help uh, with some of our our costs, the cost to run the site because it's been up between Sound On Site and Pop Optic for eight years. There's over, I want to say, 20,000 articles and uh, over 200 episodes of the Televerse and over 500 episodes of Sorted Cinema or Sound On Site and 
all the Hannibal podcasts and all the Walking Dead podcasts and all the God, Game of Thrones podcasts. We we want to be able to keep all those so that our listeners can access them, so that new listeners can find any of these show specific podcasts and go back and listen to our entire discussion of, for example, Hannibal and not just the ten most recent. Um, so because of that, our server costs and and site uh, fees just kind of steadily increase over time. Anyways, we are holding a fundraiser to to help cover some of the the costs for the site and uh to go with this because we don't really like asking for money. Uh we ter- we really dislike asking for money. We are offering the uh we are offering perks through our Indiegogo campaign where you can sponsor an a DVD shelf for the Televerse. There's currently one remaining. Glenn and Carl and a different Max uh, have each sponsored one already and carl's gotten back to me ladies and gentlemen there's a northern exposure dvd shelf coming your way uh i'm not sure exactly when but in the not too distant future that's going to be a lot of fun thank you carl so much for contributing and i look forward to hearing from glenn and max about what shows they are going to to choose to have me watch and discuss on the dvd shelf um you can also uh, if you'd like to come on the dvd shelf as a guest co-host for that that's one of the perks available. You can guest co-host the Walking Dead podcast, the Game of Thrones podcast. There's many other associated with the sites. You can have an ad at the, at the website. And there are many other other perks that you, we can offer to those who donate uh, specific levels um, for the for the fundraiser. Or if you know if you've got five bucks to send that you you would like to send our way we would appreciate it Uh, every little bit does help um but that is happening over at indiegogo you can find the link to that uh, to our indiegogo campaign at pop optic um and like i said thank you so much to everybody who's already donated thank you to guest last week and friend of the show noel for for donating um but yeah it does it it very it's really touching and very heartwarming that people have um already started contributing we've we've raised a heartening amount but there's still quite a ways to go so uh this is good this is going to be running for the next month or so and so i'm going to keep mentioning it on the podcast because it does affect the televerse it does affect our listenership and because there are still televerse related perks available so i'm going to keep mentioning it but uh thank you so much to those who already have donated and to some of our our long-term listeners to the podcast who i know have have uh found a few uh a few extra dollars to, to, to throw our way. We really appreciate it. And if, you know, if, if you want to support the site and you want to support the podcasts that the many podcasts we have here at pop optic, but you don't have any, any spare change that you can send our way. You can share the podcast. You can share the fun, the, the Indiegogo campaign. You can, um, you can let other, your friends know about it. You can, there's a lot, you can spread the word about pop optic and the content we have go over here and uh, the, the, the conversations and discussions we're having, just even hearing from you guys and getting ratings and reviews on iTunes and, and uh, sharing on social media is is helpful and we, we do appreciate it so um, but like I said very heartening the response so far and hopefully uh, we've got like I said we've got quite a ways to go still so hopefully we'll hear from a few more of you but for now uh, we should get headed to our week in TV because we, we we're taking a little bit of a different uh, format and approach this week mm-hmm. because Max has been caught up in in the the film festival I, I'll be doing sort of a, a roundup of the highlights of my week in the different genres and then we'll focus in on one or two uh, episodes uh, and really have a lengthier discussion about them Uh, but then of course we will have also the dvd shelf at the end and this week we're talking about a mini series from earlier this year show me a hero uh so that'll be a lot of fun it's coming at the end of the podcast but for now 
let's take a break and come back with some TV. What say you, Max? Sounds good to me. We'll be right back after this. We're in a yoga class. Now is the time to let your mind go blank and focus instead on how awesome the yoga teacher is. Look at me, look at me, I'm so good at yoga. Look at me, look at me, I'm so good at yoga. Exhale on another side. Rebecca sucks. I do stuff with my body that no human should be able to do. Like putting my face behind my knees, turning my hand into a shoe. As the morning sun kisses the lotus, I kiss my own hoo-ha. Can you do that? Greet each day, namaste, screw you, you're fat. This week in comedy, I'm going to give a roundup of a few of the highlights for me, which uh, is going to include Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Josh's Girlfriend is Really Cool, uh, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 24, You're the Worst, There Is Not Currently a Problem, um, and then, then we'll dive in, talk a little bit about The Muppets, uh, which did not have an episode this week, but we're going to talk about last week's episode, which we didn't talk about last week on the podcast, uh, that's Pig Out, as well as maybe a little bit, again, another one of these chats about uh, where you're at with, with The Muppets Max, and uh, see how it lines up, or doesn't, with some of our previous guests. Uh, <laughs> So that's going to be fun. But first, to kick things off, uh, I want to start off with my uh, crazy ex-girlfriend because the pilot was really promising and I had some really fun musical numbers. And then the second episode was uh, the the episode itself I was fine with, but the songs, uh, yeah, we, we led into the segment with one of the songs from this week's episode and I'm watching it going, not sure if I should be offended that they're doing a kind of Bollywood number for this uh, <laughs> Latina uh, yoga instructor who's Josh's girlfriend. Um, yeah, there's like culture appropriation stuff that's pinging in in my head. Uh, I don't know if you, if you have any thoughts on this, Max. I never know how to feel when I see... Uh, if, if I see like white girls doing uh, Bollywood numbers with like the the gems on their foreheads and everything, like I never know when it's okay and when it's cultural appropriation, and I should not be okay with it. I'm just sort of awkward about that in general. I don't want to say that only people of Indian uh, descent can can do Bollywood numbers because they're amazing, and that just seems odd. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it. Do you have any any thoughts on this? I do, um, having not seen the number in question. Um, one of my least favorite Best Picture winners um, ever is Slumdog Millionaire. Um, and part of the reason that I uh, disliked it so much was I, I felt like it was sort of this like kind of pick-and-choose approach to Bollywood um, where they would like they'd have these numbers that were like opulent and entertaining, and then they would be like cut in sometimes fairly uh, awkward fashion with these, like this very violent uh, torture. And it, it lent this sort of awkward disconnect. And in that case, the, the actors themselves actually were um, Indian and Southeast Asian. Um, but the filmmaker himself, Danny Boyle was British. Um, and it really, to me, like reeked of this sort of like, 
British man attempting to do Bollywood, um, and it very much turned me off. I think generally the way I sort of come down with those kinds of issues is um, to what extent is it doing the genre or the style or whatever justice and representing it fairly versus to what extent does it just feel like somebody kind of doing a cheap imitation um like i was uh i was talking with a friend yesterday about the musical hamilton um which uses hip-hop um and i i haven't actually gotten the chance to see it staged but i've listened to the soundtrack quite a bit and what's really knocked me out about it is it it uses this hip-hop soundtrack um but it it doesn't at all feel like a cheap version of hip-hop um if you read interviews with the creator Lin-Manuel Miranda he's somebody who loves hip-hop very deeply and if you listen to his music it's clear that he understands it in great depth and um so to me that is an acceptable it's sort of it's using the form outside of what we would think of as a more typical or even organic context for it but it it represents it so well that I find it hard to be offended by that. Um, but when I see somebody just sort of um, half-assing something like that, essentially, and presenting it in this kind of diluted form to an audience who might not have any other encounter with it, that's where it really starts to bug me. Yeah, in this episode, um, it's because the show's a musical, so in this episode, the main character goes to the yoga class that the yoga instructor runs mm-hmm. and so then we have a bollywood number about uh the main character being feeling insecure because josh's girlfriend this this guy that she likes the his girlfriend is super hot and uh very flexible amazing at yoga person she's very intimidated by uh and and there's this element of of other and just feeling this person is so pretty and special and all these things and her feeling insecure uh but that's the only connection to anything Bollywood, it's just the fact that it's yoga. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm on the fence. And if, if, yeah, if, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, well, but they did, they did musical numbers last week, and they did like, like this kind of, um, making fun of like R and B or uh, <laughs> the 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 um, sexy getting ready song from last week, like kind of some music video tropes and everything. Um, and I was fine with it there. Uh, I, I guess I th- they just didn't, for me, This it wasn't funny enough, it didn't work well enough for me to not be wa- wondering and concerned about these other issues. Uh, so I'm hoping that, that this one is just kind of a blip and the songs will get better. And again, I just, I have a, usually when musicals about very white people pull out a Bollywood number, it's, I mean, I just can't help but think of Smash and their terrible sure. Bollywood number. I don't think that's right. the association Crazy Ex-Girlfriend wants me to be making. So hopefully this is a blip uh, and the, the music will match the fun dialogue and performances in the show much better uh, tonight as we record. But um, yeah, so ellipses on that. I'll report back next week. Um I look forward to listen, hearing what our listeners have to say about that. I wanted to mention Jane the Virgin as well, Chapter 24. Uh, this one brought the the Jane love triangle to a head uh, in a way that I think was really important. They needed to address it because it's just been a really big part of the show for a while now. 
and it they needed to actually do something about it. So by ending the episode with Jane telling the guys that she loves them both and and having this running um, bit of Jane imagining the bachelorette version of herself and which guy like how, you know that lets her talk to herself about how she's feeling about these guys and sort of stand in for the audience uh, audience surrogate of Team Michael Team Raphael and I thought that worked really well and it was really it was it was very fun the 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 plot we get so we get some comedy from there we get some heart from there but we also get a lot of depth and 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 an emotional wallop from the decision by Jane Zabuela that she's going to apply for her green card because um, she's been too afraid to do that because if she gets de de declined, then she'll be ex she'll be forced to leave the country. Um, so the, again, whenever they've gone to the well with the undocumented, undocumented status of Jane Zabuela, it's just been intense and very powerful and they continue that with, with this episode. So not everything in this episode really worked for me as well. There's a uh, you know, some uh, certain things I'm not as convinced by. I'm not huge with uh, Rogelio on the cruise ship. Um, but uh, but the stuff that worked for me really did work. And so I'm still enjoying Jane the Virgin. And then the last one I had to mention here before we get to the Muppets is You're the Worst. There is not currently a problem, which just kicked ass this week, basically. Um, so we find out in this episode the, the 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 LA Marathon is going on, so all the roads are shut down, which forces everybody to kind of hang out together because they can't get anywhere. So it creates a sort of bottle episode. And the season's been building to with this information that um, Gretchen has been sneaking out of the house for something, uh, driving, you know, getting her car started quietly, like rolling down the hill and then starting up when she's a little further away from the house and driving away. And we didn't know what that was about. And then an episode later, we found out that Jimmy knew it was happening, but he didn't know what it was about. And then we found out that Edgar knew that this was happening, but that she was like leaving in the middle of the night and we didn't know what it was about. We were all worried that maybe she was cheating on Jimmy or something. We find out she's been going to her car to sob. And then this week we find out that she's got clinical depression and it's back and it's going to be really tough and really hard. And the, the this episode reveals that and and um has Gretchen you can see her trying to fight against what she knows is happening and like that she's going into a valley um that's going to be very very difficult to get out of and, and watching her lash out at her friends is basically uh, there's been a number of really fantastic write-ups friends of the show uh Libby Hill wrote uh, and how Vanderwerf both wrote up great pieces over at the LA Times and Vox about the show's depiction of clinical depression. But this, her lashing out at her friends because how could they ever love her is really, really powerful and very, very, I'm getting emotional just talking about it, but it's, it's very well portrayed by all involved and I cash. I, I have a sense that it, based on this episode, we've got a lot of really great stuff coming and she's going to nail it. Um, so I thought that they handled a very tricky issue um, very well, built to it well without revealing it, without like tipping their hand while feeling organic. And whew, she gave a hell of a performance. I, I am hoping that this will be a performance that will be remembered come Golden Globes and Emmys. I don't know that... You're the worst will ever make any ripples in the award scene, but um, this is the kind of episode that that award shows like, and 
I'm really hoping that this gets some more attention to the show because it's been a really great show for two for a season and a half with really fantastic performances and very funny, very very funny. Um, but if if doing a very dramatic arc is what it takes to get more people watching the show, then I am all on board. Uh, now, are you familiar with You're the Worst at All, Max? Because I know a lot of people I, are not watching. Know, I, yeah, I've heard such great things about it for so long. Um, it's on my list. Um, it's, again, like, <laughs> if I weren't doing more things like covering the film festival, it would be high up on there on things to catch up on. Um, but, I, yeah, I've heard nothing but great things. It's interesting to me that you bring up awards shows because, at least just from my perspective, when I think about awards shows and TV, it's not like it's all bad. Certainly, like, shows that I like win awards. But, uh, like, The Americans, for example, which had a stellar season this year, I thought, and I uh, recapped it over at uh, the old Sound on Sight, um, like, wasn't even nominated for Best Drama, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. So you feel that uh, the awards shows are uh, are able to reflect quality to a certain extent? Um, no, not necessarily. But when things get nominated, people watch them. Uh, and they they, they get sure. more attention. So the based on the numbers, there's there's no way you're the worst is coming back for a third season. Um, the viewing numbers. So if this can draw more attention to the show and to these performers, that's a good thing. Uh, I know I actually don't care about award shows at all. Like I I actually watched the Emmys this year because I was live tweeting it uh, for the AV Club, and it it was odd to not be disappointed the whole time because I actually. I didn't necessarily think everything that one should have won, but pretty much everything that did one, I was like, okay, they're good. I'm cool with this. And that is <laughs> not usually the experience I have with these things. Um, so no, I, you know, like you mentioned, the Americans is a perfect example. It didn't win for writing, directing. It wasn't even nominated for best uh, drama, which is ridiculous because they had an amazing, amazing season. It's definitely in my top 10 if not, probably five this year and it's been a really good year for tv um but yeah so, so the award shows don't have the best shows necessarily but when things do manage to break through that can be indicative of a larger swing toward in the favor of that show um or more attention coming to that show which is as, as far as i'm concerned for you're the worst and some of these other bubble shows they're doing really great stuff that can only be a helpful thing sure well, let's move on to our last show in this week in comedy, uh, and that's The Muppets. And I, again, like I said, there wasn't a new episode this week, but uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about last week's episode, which I thought was pretty fun. Pig Out, which saw uh, Miss Piggy becoming friends with the crew. What did you What did you think of this episode? It was among the better ones, I thought. Um, as uh, readers of the site know, I wrote a rather... Um, scathing uh review of it when i watched a the first two episodes delightfully uh, scathing review might i yeah. say i didn't didn't necessarily agree but i thought it was fantastic <laughs> oh thank you um you know yeah i i thought the the piggy subplot worked well um like better than other ones maybe have worked um i mean what it's coming down to me the larger problem for this show is that i don't feel like it works particularly well to explore these characters in the sort of depth that they are um like i love the office um and to a certain extent those characters are they kind of rely on their tropes uh but they also have this kind of depth to them that i think um can really be explored 
in the mockumentary um, single cam format. And by contrast, um, the Muppets, to me, like the, the original Muppets show, the, the characters are much more one-dimensional. And I say this from an absolute place of love. I think that it's a one-dimensionality that works very, very well, particularly in this like multicam variety format and when they are able to play the different tropes off of one another. Um, but sort of trying to, what they've done is like these plots of like, not just sort of laughing at Miss Piggy for being desperate, which is like its own, like possibly troubling uh, stereotype, but to anyway, to not just sort of make that joke, but to, explore it in greater depth and then like Fozzie wanting to write uh his own script instead of just sort of like wanting to make jokes um and uh it's just it's I'm not finding it convincing I guess fair enough um wh- I'm gonna ask after that review what is has made you keep watching because you hated the first two episodes <laughs> I was curious to see what they would do um, with the style. Um, I do. I actually really liked uh, the Muppets movie. I didn't see the sequel, but the the more the first sort of Muppets reboot with Jason Segel, um, I I enjoyed. And I think what I part of what made me enjoy that because it was also, I mean, it was a film, um, so almost by design, it was a sort of single cam, more cinematic format. Um, but I think part of what made that work better for me was it it felt very strongly like it came from a real sense of love for the Muppets. Um, I, I felt like that was conveyed pretty much throughout the running time. Um, and by contrast, uh, so Bill Prady, who had uh, created the show, I believe, um, and I think he got his start working with Jim Henson. I know he has some sort of like deep affiliation with the show. Um, then it was part of his sort of television uh, training before he went on to work on the Big Bang Theory. Um, but it it doesn't seem to me to be coming from the same sort of uh, love, at least through what is conveyed on the show. It's just sort of like I want to tell, I want to present these characters in this new way um, when maybe that way doesn't necessarily fit those characters at all. Well, I think the prime example for that is this week, what they do with Sam and I'm sorry, having Sam have this, like the office style crush on Janice really, really wasn't working for me. Right. It just felt wrong. Yeah. Uh, No, I agree. And, like there's i think in the in the muppet show those are the kind of jokes again like piggy's love for kermit that they would just sort of play for laughs and it would be like a quick thing and there'd be some really exaggerated reaction and that would be it um but you're not gonna like having like a jim and pam style relationship with muppets characters is just not gonna work for me fair enough well i am looking forward to it does seem like at least to me like they are building to a season arc of Kermit and Piggy's relationship uh, morphing in some way, whether they get back together, who knows? But um, and so I am liking how they're handling that for the most part. Um, I like this one better than the previous episode, uh, just because I didn't really 
by Kermit as lying to and manipulating Fozzie. So, <laughs> right. uh, like, Miss Piggy, okay, fair enough. I mean, come on. She's she's Miss Piggy. She's being she's being absurd almost constantly, and so she needs to be kind of handled a bit. But um, but with Fozzie, I was less on board with that. But so I had more fun. I, I liked this episode better, and I did really like a lot of the the karaoke stuff. That Ed Helms was fun and really fit well with with the show. I think not very surprising um, that that he did work so well with them. Um, but yeah, so having this is I thought was one of the better episodes. That Sam stuff, I'm hoping that this is sort of, again, like with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's yoga song, I'm hoping this is just like a, a one thing, one-off kind of blip, and then he gets back to feeling, like, like I'm not down, I'm not, I don't have a problem with putting Sam into a relationship or exploring that part of the character. Like, I'm okay with spending more time um, trying to flesh out these characters, but I need them to feel, I need it to feel organic and not feel like, well, but what if, like... Sam could have a crush on who's someone that would be the most ridiculous person. Janice, let's do that. Just cause it didn't feel right. like it came from anywhere based in character. So um, we'll see. We'll see. Sure. <laughs> and just a, yeah, a word about the karaoke scene. I, Cause that, that to me was one of the better scenes on the show thus far. Um, and I think a big reason why it worked is it was just kind of goofy um, and it didn't necessarily rely on, any kind of character interplay. It was just sort of this like fun, silly idea. And that to me, like as a Muppet set piece, even if it's sort of outside of the original format can work um, and did work. So I, I guess maybe uh, to the extent that they could um, build the series more around uh, gags like that, I could see the show working. Yeah. Well, and also it's just fun to watch them all have fun together and not have that antagonist. So because, you know, once things get going with Piggy and, like, she's no longer being insufferable, uh, it is just kind of fun to watch them all have fun and hang out together. And and I did enjoy, like, which songs each of the different people chose to sing. And the montage, I thought, it is a, a good amount of time. It doesn't go on too long. It doesn't, you know, they really manage their time well there. So, yeah, I, I agree. That sense of fun that is so um, crucial to to the Muppets was, was there in that sequence. And... Hopefully sure. they will recapture that a bit. Do you have any final thoughts on the Muppets? Um, I don't know if I have much beyond uh, what I've said already. My main takeaway from these first four, you know, there are some shows that I watch and I that sort of go awry in certain ways. And I think, wow, like I wish I could have been in the writer's room because I have ideas for how I would make that better. Um, but that's kind of not the way I feel this with this show. I mean, I guess maybe with the karaoke scene, I would just try to make it composed of moments like that as much as possible. But I, it feels more to me like a fundamentally flawed concept to try to um, meld these two styles. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Well, I look forward to, to uh, hearing your thoughts about this, you know, further into the season. If you stick with it, um, you'll have to drop me a line on Twitter and let let, 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 let inquiring minds who wish to know, know how long you last with the Muppets. Of course. Um, well, for you, your week, what wins your week in comedy is the Muppets, because that's the one you watched. And I'll, I will give it to You're the Worst, which just killed it. I've also really been liking Fresh Off the Boat. I caught up with Fresh Off the Boat and Blackish and uh, The Grinder and a bunch of other stuff this week. But, um, but definitely for me this week, it's You're the Worst. So now we will take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. I would climb any mountain 
this week in genre and drama, I'm going to preview Wicked City, which is debuting tonight as you guys get this in your feed on ABC. And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, last night's, as you are getting this, or t- t- today's uh, uh, Supergirl pilot as we record. And then I'll do a bit of a roundup of non-premiere things. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about Limitless Personality Crisis, uh, The Nick your no rose as well as the premiere uh i'm going to talk a little bit about the affair the first four um and then just maybe mention a couple other episodes and then we'll dive in with fargo before the law and the leftovers orange sticker so much to talk about about both of those shows i'm very much looking forward to it but first i'm just going to get this out of the way uh y'all wicked city on ebc is so bad (laughs) it's really not good um so max you were going to watch this initially so that we could talk about it because because abc the lovely people at abc did put up a screener for this episode um however when when it became apparent that that time uh there was only so much time in the week for you this week i said just unless you really want to watch this just (laughs) and i'm so glad that you didn't uh because okay here are the ways that wicked city is bad. First of all, it's a serial killer show um, that does nothing new to explore serial killer things. There's nothing in this pilot that we haven't seen in other serial killer shows. There's plenty of really, there's plenty of really terrible serial killer shows out there. This is not Stalker. Like it could be worse. This is not the following, <laughs> but is really bad. Um, there's a, there is some really fun music and fashion and and all that because it is set in the uh, what is it. 79 80 81 so it's like the beginning of the 80s um so there's a lot of really fun stuff with that with the time period but aside from that nothing that we're getting with the killer kind of perspective is something that is is worthwhile and then it's also a really terrible cop show like literally i'm not kidding you max jeremy sisto who's playing a cop here uh he literally says i can't be a partner with i can't have my partner be somebody i can't trust you know like <laughs> that is the thing that gets said on this show how because i don't know if you can tell but these uh this is gonna be a butting heads oil and 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 water relationship between these two cops i wonder if they're gonna earn a grudging respect for each other uh with each other over the course of the season uh i wonder if they're gonna realize that maybe they should uh, learn some lessons from each other it's just <laughs> it's so bad um okay so there's there's just some of that stuff where I was just like, but Jeremy's sister was so good as a cop on Law and Order. Why did they care? It was a tentpole. Um, this is just a show with a bunch of people that you've seen be much better in other things with some really bad writing. And I, I, the one element that seemed like maybe it would be unique would be that the, they have this like serial killing team with this this man and this woman. So usually, you know, female serial killers are a much more rare thing. So it's like, okay, maybe that's <laughs> something that they could do. No, this is a character who is introduced. Um, one of the first scenes is is catching a spider to put outside and telling her kids, "What do we always say?" do no harm because she's a nurse uh so now we get, we're gonna get to watch her get corrupted by evil ed westwick over the course of the season it, um it's just uh who of course has mommy issues and yeah it's just it's just really really bad um fortunately there i guess because last week i had we had truth be told on nbc which is probably the worst of the fall comedies i it i think it beat out um dr ken as the worst of the fall comedies because damn wicked city worst of the fall 
um, hour longs. But thankfully, they're not all bad uh, because we're going to talk in a moment here about Supergirl, which I actually did really like. Um, so, guys, don't watch, don't watch Wicked City. It's going to go away quickly. I'm almost certain. Um, but like the people at ABC or the people, not necessarily ABC, but whoever is responsible for this, the writers, this should be better than it is. It's got a, a very good cast and it wastes them. And I have no idea how this is like how this <laughs> happened. So, uh, yeah, it's not good. Uh, what is almost certainly certain to be better is going to be starting up this week, but we unfortunately didn't have screeners for uh, stars uh, has Ash versus evil dead uh, starting on Halloween. Also starting on Halloween is season two of Le Revenant. We'll be talking about these next week, but, um, but let's talk about a good new show that's starting up, uh, which is this, which is at least as far as I'm concerned, Supergirl starring Melissa Benoist. That's how you say the name. <laughs> I've learned there's much debate. Uh, what did, I was a fan of this one. I was pleasantly surprised, par- partially just because my expectations were very low after that initial trailer that got released. What did, what did you think of the Supergirl pilot, Max? You know, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and I don't mean that in a superficial way. I, I found it really enjoyable um, and in a way that sort of post Christopher Nolan uh superheroes aren't always treated um there's this uh you know there I mean it, it's been pushed back against to a certain extent but there there has been this trope for quite some time now of sort of the the dark and gritty superhero and this is not that um this is bubbly um it treats it as fun as I think superheroes certainly can be um it also has a very uh, ex- explicit um, feminine, uh, feminist sorry, subtext, I think, um, which I found kind of interesting, almost to the point where um, I thought maybe it was heavy-handed, and I, I believe Alan Sepinwall in his review uh, found it a bit heavy-handed. Um, but I, I don't know. I thought maybe sort of in... Uh, conflict with that maybe that's the kind of thing we need particularly with superheroes it's just such a male dominated genre um that being so sort of um explicit about um female self-empowerment is not a bad thing at all no i mean it's so there are so few um female superheroes Compared to um, male that are we seeing on TV and in film, especially, especially in film um, and specifically leads. So I mean, you've got you've got Sky on S.H.I.E.L.D. is definitely the lead over there. And um, Agent Palicki's Bobby is one of the, you know, an agent made like there's that's a very female uh, powered show over on S.H.I.E.L.D. Not always a great show, but one that I'm still watching every week. Uh, but as for the you know like the fact that we don't have a black widow movie anywhere near like you can't even buy a black widow toy you know right. <laughs> we clearly have issues with um studios believing in female led action movies let alone superhero movies and i mean we we're finally finally getting traction under one on a wonder woman movie all these right. years into you know however many reboots of spider-man and <laughs> And uh, Batman. But um, so, yeah, so I'm okay with there being such a, at times, very heavy handed feminist message. Um, And as any of our listeners who are still listening know, I am very much a feminist. So it's not surprising (laughs) that I am okay with that. I do think they, 
they bend over backwards to justify calling her Supergirl as if that's right. not a dismissive sexist thing when it clearly okay so like if you're gonna like as they keep calling him her cousin just say superman but anyways they, they right. don't say super they say her cousin her super her cousin isn't super boy so why right. is she super girl it's like well i'm a girl no you are a grown-ass woman callista flockhart right. you are not right. a girl uh right. but basically that's the name of the property and so that's what they have to call her and instead of lampshading it or instead of having it be what the newspaper dubs her but maybe she doesn't like it and yeah instead of having chastising her for thinking calling a grown-ass woman girl is actually rather sexist um they have her be wrong about that which doesn't work for me um but other than that i mean what i think they could they did so well here is make it's not just that it's about supergirl it's not just that she has a female boss who's a mogul it's also, the, the core relationship is with her sister. I'm a big fan of Kyler Lee from Grey's Anatomy. Um, I even liked her in that Taxi remake show last year uh, that I watched a couple episodes of. Um, but um, it's also the, the, the primary villain we're introduced to is, is female, like, is a woman. Uh, and and it really feels like it's going to be very much interested in and focused on women. So exploring them, developing them, making them all uh, nuanced and fully developed individuals as opposed to tokens. And uh, I think they could actually do a better job of not tokening the the guys, uh, which is kind of refreshing to have that be one of my main question marks about the series. But I think that they really get that sister relationship very right in this first episode. Um, I think it's fun, which is so important. And I also like that we waste no time in building up the, the, the Scooby gang of people who know who she is. They don't waste time with her having a secret identity from, from James Olsen. Um, and I really appreciate that as well. Yeah. You know, with the, regarding the super girl uh, comment with like the, the name girl, that certainly stuck out to me as well. And it, it was sort of like, almost like femsplainy, like, oh no, <laughs> girl is actually empowering. Um, but I mean, I think it'll it'll depend on maybe how the the boss is uh, represented over the next, uh, like over over the rest of the season, um, because I it all it does sort of set her up. I felt a bit as an antagonist, um, and in this, I agree that she is like portrayed as correct um to a certain extent but um in terms of her sort of antagonism to Kara um I wonder if that will sort of maybe come to put her like acceptance of that term in a different context as the season progresses but I don't know yeah that could definitely be interesting do you have any other uh things you liked or are curious about with this uh pilot um I mean, I personally didn't mind the uh, sort of tokenism of the men at all. Um, it kind of makes me think back to uh, Bridesmaids, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, and I, particularly, like, in direct contrast with these Judd Apatow, like, bro comedies um, in which there were, like, the man was the focus and was sort of all about his growth and then there's this woman who kind of exists like pretty much exclusively in the film to help him along in that maturity. And, uh, was this Chris something? I forget the actor, uh, in oh, Dad. 
Chris O'Dowd, thank you. Yeah, I mean, he was just sort of the token hunk, um, and he didn't have a whole lot of personality, um, but I didn't really mind that. Um, I was glad that we got to spend more time with the women, um, and I guess ideally you would have both, and I, I certainly in the most complex stories, uh, love stories, the, like, the romance isn't one-sided, but... Um, I mean, particularly given the tone of Supergirl, which is so just kind of uh, light and uh, maybe uh, skips over things. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, I didn't mind it personally. Yeah. And and again, this is a pilot. There's plenty of time to shape things as we move forward. But yeah, I think it's a solid pilot and I'm looking forward to following the season. And it's about damn time we have (laughs) Supergirl. You know, we have a female uh, unquestionably the the lead uh, in an action based show. We're going to be talking about Supergirl more on the Televerse over the course of the next few weeks, but I wanted to give it some some quality time here. Now I'm going to do a quick roundup of some other genre and drama uh, entries from this week. Uh, first of all, I wanted to mention Limitless because last week the guest, uh, Noel Kirkpatrick from TV.com, had mentioned that he was keeping up with Limitless and that was actually a really solid show. This week's episode, Personality Crisis, I t- checked in for, and it was very good. He's absolutely right. The, the show has really come into its own. Jack McDornan is doing a really good job as the lead. He's really grounding the show and they've they've found this good balance of sort of cheeky fun that fits with that character and is very much in his personality with a procedural element that is working so far. It's it's very much in the procedural vein. Um, it's like a slightly less quippy psych, maybe you could say. Um, a comment, somewhere between psych and elementary, I think. Um, and I think that's a good spot for them. And they the other characters that were more sort of blank slates in the pilot have, have moved forward and gotten more interesting. And they also have done a good job of building up the intrigue of NZT with the, the, the main characters like um, his contacts um, in that, in that world. So they're doing a really good job. I would say over there with limitless much better than I anticipated that they would based on that pilot. Um, And I will probably continue keeping up with it at this point. Um, also the Nick, you're no Rose. They've, they've had the first two episodes of the Nick this season. I really like what they're, uh, what they're doing with, uh, Harriet, especially, and the ambulance driver, uh, I want to say Cleary, uh, that I really have keyed back into that storyline. The stuff that they're giving LG, uh, Algernon to play is very good as well. Uh, the, you know, having his, ugh, his eye, ha- having trouble with his eyes. And this week when, when, the uh, Clive Owen character when Thax got like the 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 tool holding open his eyelids <laughs> so that he can do surgery with his shaky you know addict hand right by his eye. Oh my god, it was super intense. It was super intense, Max. Um, so the old timey surgery stuff is continues to be um a good combination of holy crap, this is really what they did while also being uh interesting and educational and. You know, they're they're threading that needle well, so it doesn't feel too gratuitous, uh, while also, uh, you know, really enforcing through the characters' reactions to this stuff that this was ahead of its time, really 
cutting edge stuff. This was good. <laughs> we look at it now like a horror show, but this was uh, trying to save people's uh, lives. And so they, they continue to do a good job with that element. Uh, Cliff Martinez's score is still fantastic. I'm still not very interested in Thack as a main character. That's one of my main, if not my single biggest issue with season one. But I like the, what, they're, what they're doing with these other characters. Um, and they continue to maintain the ensemble element or nature of the show, which was the you know very strong development that happened about five or six episodes into season one. Um, so yeah, they're... I'm still not very interested in Lucy. Uh, not very interested in her speaking in tongues, preacher father. I'm not very interested in, in Thack. But the characters that I was invested in in season one remain uh, very interesting here in season two. And I, I, I again, it's it's a very interesting and beautiful to look at show and beautiful to listen to show with that fantastic Martinez score. Um, so I'm very glad the Nick is back in my life. Also wanted to mention the affair, which is up to episode four now, season two, episode four. And I keep watching the show, even though I'm not very invested in the characters, just because the performances are really, really good. Um, Switching to four perspectives instead of two this this season, giving Joshua Jackson and especially Maura Tierney uh, their own perspectives, point of view, like half episodes to go with the other two, Ruth Wilson, as well as Dominic West uh, POVs has been sorely needed and they've they've done a good job with it. They've really uh, that's allowed them to really crack things open quite a bit more and make it, things a lot more interesting. It's super fun to have Richard Schiff show up here and he's having a lot of fun as the lawyer um, as much as I would kind of rather have him on Manhattan still, though that character death did work very well on Manhattan. Um, so, I, But I'm glad he's at least on one of the shows that I'm watching regularly because he's such a fabulous actor and he's having fun with that role. Uh, the 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 conceit of the season, this cutting back and forth to this court case, I'm kind of more interested in the court case than the main timeline we're following. Um, but I'm hoping maybe that'll shift up soon. But mostly, again, the performances are very, very good. And they haven't recommitted the cardinal sin of one character remembers um, their ex-husband uh, holding a gun to a kid's head. And the other character doesn't remember their child having a gun held to their head. Um, that's the kind of thing I know they're playing with perspective. But I'm sorry that just somebody's just wrong. There's no, that's, that happened in season one. This season, they haven't done anything that egregious. And hopefully that was, again, a mistake that they learned from, given everyone's reactions of, oh, hell no. Uh, so, yeah. Compelling drama. With so much great TV on Sundays, it's like the, the affair is usually like the last thing that I watch. Um, <laughs> we're going to get to one of the first things I watch soon, uh, which, of course, is Leftovers. But, um, but I am still keeping up with it. Because they, they, despite its many drawbacks, um, I'm just so glad to see these actors get things to play. Um, and hopefully there will be a couple new, um, hopefully they'll keep things a little fresher with the Jackson character and uh, move things forward a bit more with the Ruth Wilson character. Because I'm hope those are the ones that I'm less invested in right now. So we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But I did want to mention it here. Um, lots of other TV this week, but I'm going to stop there and, and, uh, oh, I guess I should mention, of course, The Walking Dead had a huge episode this week. Lots of, to discuss there, but that's why we have a Walking Dead podcast over at Pop Optics. So that should be up in everyone's feed, uh, soon if it's not already. You can go check that out. I have many thoughts about person whose name I'm not going to say here in case somebody hasn't watched it yet, because that would be a spoiler. 
so go check that out. But let's now move on to a show I've been very excited about for a while, and that is Fargo, which uh, came back for season two last week, uh, two weeks ago, I should say. And then this week we had Before the Law. Um, we haven't, this is going to be, again, we're talking about last week's episode here, not tonight's episode as we record, because um, we've both seen it. And that, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll just throw it right to you, Max. How are you feeling about Fargo this season? And what did you specifically think about the second episode? Um, I've been absolutely astonished by what I've seen so far, which is the first two episodes. Um, I, I like this show a lot in the first season, um, particularly at first. And I think, um, part of that might have come from my personal, very deep love for all things Coen brothers, um, and for the film Fargo in particular, and to just sort of get a chance to, re-enter that world once again and uh, to enter the like the world of the coen brothers even though it's not uh i think maybe they're eps on it um they're they're certainly not uh writing and directing or anything like that um but uh i do feel like uh like in the first season even uh noah hawley got the feel really well and so it was just a a treat to re-enter that um where it started to lose me a bit um was there was this uh felt this like kind of hatred of the characters um it was just sort of like everybody's either stupid or really evil um and uh that just kind of made me lose interest um and but this season i i feel like they've kind of gotten away from that um I feel like they're Noah Hawley's a lot more interested in his characters as people and what makes them tick. Um, and it's also laugh out loud funny as it was in the first season. But I think even more so, um, it's certainly very dark and very violent. But I've been laughing out loud for a good portion of both of these episodes. Um, so I've been really, really impressed. Yeah, these episodes have been, um, I thought, really strong. Like you say, they, they do get that blend of comedy and uh, and drama. Really, they, they're handling just as well this season as they did at certain times last season. Um, and I think having that distance from the source material where, with the time period and everything, it is also helping this season feel... It doesn't have to struggle as much against those comparisons that the first season uh, did with with some of the performances and some of the characters as much as I miss Alison Tolman, because she's amazing. <laughs> and so much of the cast of season one. Um, but I've, you know, I've really, when you talk about the, the, the comedy, some of, some of these characters, you know, I, I like the first episode and comedically that opening of the pilot uh, of the premiere, I should say. <laughs> so good. So good. Yep. <laughs> uh, but what I would point to for, for comedy, uh, most of the characters that I'm laughing the most uh, with or at, tend to also be characters that like I'll laugh but also be feeling very dramatically connected with them as well for example the Kirsten Dunn's character um yeah. I, I think that again they're threading that needle and they're they're blending those two elements so well with that character uh how are you feeling about her I think she's fantastic uh like one of the scenes that had me laughing the most from the first episode was where uh She's talking with her husband, uh, the Jesse, I think his name is Ed, he's the Jesse Plemons character. Um, 
about how they're not having sex and he clearly wants to um, have sex with her more. And I think she says, well, we did that last weekend um, and it was just timed perfectly. Um, and again, like you're, you're getting uh, a portrait of the characters. And so, as you said, sort of a dramatic connection, but it's still very comical at the same time. And I, what I, what I like is I feel like the, um, the laughing at and the laughing with are not necessarily separate from one another. Like we're sort of laughing at, at them for being sexually inactive and particularly at the husband to a certain extent. But, um, I think, uh, it's not a wholly unsympathetic portrait at the same time. Um, so I think that's been really fantastic. I totally agree with you about the distance from the source material. Um, I think that that was ultimately what, kind of lost me the most was like by having uh he he was a or he was an ad salesman with jerry lundergaard or mm -hmm. yeah or lester nygaard sorry was it see this shows i just know martin freeman <laughs> martin right, freeman yeah. and the martin uh, character yeah. i felt was much more explicitly connected to the william h macy character and the allison tolman character was much more explicitly connected to the Francis McDormand character than anybody is in Fargo season two. And I felt like having those explicit connections just sort of invited the comparison. And I felt like the show versions were coming out uh, below ultimately. And so by being more distant, um, I feel like Noah Hawley is doing himself a great service. Basically um, it's becoming its own thing. And I think that's working really well. I really, um, it, particularly in the second episode, was connecting very much with the Plemons character. And it's just so wonderful to see Plemons get something to do that isn't be in like three scenes of a really good movie, which is kind of what he's <laughs> been doing for the past however long. It's just so wonderful to see him actually get a role to, that he can really kind of put his teeth into. And, and I thought I think they're doing a good job so far of just starting to tease the drama and the te the the tension. Uh, you know, when when they're he's grinding up the body and and we get uh, the Wilson character come in. I mean, like that that's a sequence that again, if we're only in episode two, you know, it's going to get so much more tense than this. But I think that they do a good job of moving us towards that where, where we can anticipate tonally the show is likely going. Yeah, um, no, I agree. Um, I uh, That scene, actually, I almost, it sort of verged on losing me. Um, just, I felt like it was maybe a little more uh, cheeky than necessary with the, like, the body parts like almost being discovered and then him like just barely not. Um, but I... I feel like they're establishing the characters strongly enough and the, the scene was very much grounded in those characters um, to the extent that uh, it was still able to work. As far as the, the rest of the season, one thing that we haven't gotten to talk about yet that I'm really intrigued to see how they build is this uh, extra extraterrestrial influence that they've <laughs> sort of insinuated in both episodes, but uh hasn't i don't know i now, have no yeah. idea where the where he's going with it and i like that yeah no that's like one of the highlights uh, it's just so weird <laughs> in the in the premiere right. it's fabulous now i've heard people say that that it was the reflection off of that balloon that they found uh oh. any thoughts on that cuz it's it's been cuz i <laughs> I watched these when we got sent the screener. So it's been a while for me with the premiere and uh I so I don't remember would that fit with the premiere, I don't know if it's, if it's been a while for you as well. 
I, I haven't seen it since it was first on. Um, honestly, I hadn't considered that. Um, but with the War of the Worlds uh, voiceover in the end of the second episode, I mean, there's mm-hmm. no way that Noah Hawley just missed that, right? Um, oh, no, no, that's definitely intentional. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if it's just sort of like a a joke or it's just it's like a th- motif that he's going to keep coming back to um and isn't necessarily uh going to make explicit or it's going to be sort of like an ambiguous thing like the leftovers which we'll talk about later um so i don't know but i i like that he is uh not making it uh particularly clear one way or the other but keeping it very much a um element I just love the idea that, like, our Sioux Falls climax for the season is going to be, like, this X-Files alien thing. And then Keith Carradine just, like, <laughs> didn't bother to bring it up in season one because it wasn't relevant. You're like, does Allison Tolman know that there are aliens? <laughs> it just, again, like, we're not looking for aliens right now, don't you know? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, uh, that's, like, I, I doubt that they will do anything that extreme, but... I, I would kind of love to see the show just take a left turn like that because I trust Noah Hawley and the writers and the directors to to do it and execute it well because they did right. have done such a good job. They, they're so adept at handling tone that I would trust them to do something that outlandish and make it work. Um, I, the, the last thing I guess I'll mention is the score on this show yeah. is so damn good. It's like between the the we've we, you know there's been a lot of talk about how fantastic uh the Cliff Martinez score for uh the Nick is and certainly how how significant an element that was in establishing the show in season 1 um is continuing here in season 2 as well to be just as powerful the the score for Rectify earlier this season was amazing and i know uh, our listeners are probably tired of hearing me say <laughs> nice things about the score for Hannibal uh but as far as i'm concerned the score for Fargo that we've gotten so far at least is is on par with these other ones it's been a really fantastic element to the show uh, it's to the point where it's making me consider reviving my my score based write ups. Not enough to actually do it because I don't have enough time. It's very time consuming <laughs> to do that, but it's really um, fantastic and very inspiring to me as a musician. To to you know, it makes me sit on the edge of my seat just a little bit more. Uh, so I wanted to throw some love that way. Do you have any other elements to the show that that are exciting to you, or any final thoughts before we move on? I think so. I think. Uh... It's just about covered it. I'm like, I'm just really excited, honestly. Based on these first two episodes, I feel like this very well could end up being my number one show for the year because I've just been blown away by what I've seen so far. So I'm really excited. Well, that's a great way to transition because The Leftovers is making a hard play for my top 10 uh, and maybe even my top five with this season. It's been such a fantastic season so far. And this week we get, we, we sent her back after, you know, having our three different episodes with following different family. We kind of, we get back and we kind of share the episode um, a bit with the two families in, um, in miracle. Um, What did you think of this installment orange sticker? Yeah. um, I, I like the kind of siege they're building here with uh, Kevin being implicated. Um, what I what I've liked about this show all along, and this sort of goes back to the alien um, comment with Fargo a bit, is how sort of they ha- they've been so um, 
they haven't felt the need to give answers. And I, I like how they're continuing to do that with Kevin. And it, it's possible we'll get a more uh, explicit um, uh, explanation of everything that's exactly going on there. But, um, I mean, it seems to me like it's sort of meaningful enough what we know already and then to play on how that affects the characters. And so, so I like how they've done that so far. I really like the way that they've expanded out the Carrie Coon character, uh, Nora, yeah. where like in, you thought that in season one, we saw her kind of come to terms and, and process and deal with her loss. And this season we're seeing, oh, no, 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 she's still so fucked up. Um, they, they hadn't even scratched the surface last season when, when the MIT guys introduced the concept of maybe this will happen again in right. the second episode. And, it hadn't occurred to me and it didn't seem like it had occurred to, to Nora uh, that really we, watching her deal with that and watch and specifically in this episode, the way that they end the episode, uh, well, like they begin the episode with her losing her shit because uh, her husband or sorry, her boyfriend is, is nowhere to be found and the neighbor is nowhere to be found. Um, and then, then progressing it through the episode, watching her kind of, have to process and and be threatened with maybe this has happened once more and you know i, I think they've just done such a fabulous job with that character and of course Pekari Kuhn's fantastic um as well as the show just playing with that idea do you do you think that there was another departure do you think that you know that evie yeah is gone evie is gone i should say you know i I almost don't think it matters. Um, I, I'm sorry, sort of evading your question here, but I, I think like what you said about the implication is really the most important thing that it could happen again, and to consider how traumatic it was for Nora the first time, and just the the mere possibility of it is so um, uh, like threatening and traumatic to her that um, I mean, it, it would certainly be a new plot point of course and would like add a whole nother uh layer to the show but i mean what i the way i sort of connected with the show at first was a as a 9-11 metaphor it was like this thing that happened that nobody ever thought could happen did happen and then suddenly the world was never the same again um and that's sort of the same thing that's happened on the leftovers and so to like you have this world where um this one thing happened and that's uh like obviously had this devastating impact and then like the possibility that it could happen again is enough to uh have like lay out this whole new array of ramifications I loved the reaction from Nora as she walks past the prayer circle talking about how fancy yeah. and special they are that they haven't lost anyone. Just like yeah. the, and fuck you. Especially <laughs> oh my God, it was fantastic. Uh, I've also, I also like watching the family n next door, each process yeah. their loss in such a different way. Um, the, 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 the last thing we get with Nora and Kevin seems like it seems like that's the last thing we're, that, that that seems like an episode ending conversation. And then we pull down and the camera keeps moving. So you're waiting for a reveal and the way that they time that to come around and see the neighbor scratching off the the right. sticker was was a very powerful way to end. I, I, I really do think that that 
family that they've introduced this season, it feels so developed and so fleshed out in just basically two episodes. Um, This is a group of storytellers who knows what they're doing. I totally agree. I also like um, how they're, I mean, they, they have expanded it to a certain extent by moving to Miracle, but they've also kind of honed in uh, and at the same time by focusing on these two families. And the, I think it actually, I, I'm feeling like the two seasons work really well together, um, particularly like in the context of viewing this like more generally as an allegory for any kind of tragedy, um, be it, you know, a science fiction one or something more realistic. Um, I liked the, in the first season, sort of getting the, wider view where lots of the episodes revolved around just one person's experience and seeing how it affected them. And you're still sort of getting the, um, those individual focuses this season, but it, it's within, it's more uh, tightly constrained within the boundaries of the two families. And I, it's, I like to see seeing how it's specifically affecting the families um so i think that's been fantastic yes definitely agree with that and um the the last element that i think we got to talk about here is the conversation with kevin and and head patty i mean and doubt is just so fantastic and after a season of she had what two episodes where she talked at all uh and was still so affecting last season to have her just be a non-stop chatterbox this right. season, it's been so fun to watch the actress get to, to play and just do something so different. Um, what did you think of her singing Crease and, uh, you know, this other, you know, these other little exchanges we're getting in this episode? Like, the, the, the kind of evil smile we see her give when she says, I'm right. just glad we're talking about it. Ooh, chills. <laughs> right. No, for sure. And, I mean, she's working. I think, it, I mean, the, the sort of evil smile makes her it fits with her as a kind of double to Kevin. Um, but I, I'm sort of increasingly unsure of what to do exactly with their relationship because like the, the cell phone thing where um, she, the implication is that she knows where the cell phone is. So are we supposed to think that Kevin just knew somehow and he was only able to guess where it was like through well- having Pat speak to him? He could have seen it earlier and not quite registered it when he was because he was in, he was down was? there. Yeah, he was down there okay. earlier th- that day. So he could have like glint, gl- glimpsed it in his periphery or something and just and not realized that he'd seen it. And it, he could be talking to himself or he, that he, he could just be that Patty knows stuff. It could be either way. Patty knowing about the cell phone to me suggested that maybe she is something more than just a manifestation of Kevin's self uh, subconscious, but you're right. At the same time, it's possible that um, Kevin had this knowledge that just wasn't made explicit. Um, and he did need her to realize it through this figure that he's imagining. But I, I think that it, it sort of leaves it ambiguous enough that um, the show leaves open the possibility that she is this sort of uh, superhuman figure uh from beyond the dead and who we can't totally comprehend um and i like that ambiguity and i think the show has done that sort of ambiguity with its paranormal elements really well from the beginning 
Yeah, this season, even more than the first, is pushing the mysteries, like, in very actively presenting mysteries that people want or, or need answers to within the show. Um, whether it's Kevin about the voices in his head or it's about what happened to Evie, it's very explicit with those. Um, and yet I still do not care if we get answers. And <laughs> that's some of that's just the type of TV viewer that I am. But it's also, right. I think, it's, it's a testament to how well they've established this world and how well they are telling the story they're interested in. Because if we don't get answers to any of this, I will still be satisfied with the kind of show that they are providing. And, and they're doing such a good job with these characters that I don't need answers. No, I agree. And I, I mean, that's sort of the way I feel about plots in general is there are plenty of stories that work well for me there are certain elements that if you think about it don't really make sense and i actually think what's going on here is they're self-conscious and like what we just call a plot hole because i i think they're aware that um they're not providing answers and they're okay with it and it certainly does require a specific kind of viewer to be okay with it but it also does require the storytelling to be at a certain level where the viewer is not going to care. And I think that's what we've gotten thus far. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, well, then what wins your week in genre and drama? What wins my week? Uh, well, it's just Fargo or The Leftovers. Uh, oh, maybe so it's Supergirl. It's not Supergirl. Oh, and Supergirl, <laughs> right. I'm sorry. No, it's not Supergirl. Um, Supergirl was super fun, but... Um, both Fargo and The Leftovers are just like really knocking me out right now. I kind of think I'd still take Fargo, honestly. Um, I, I'm i enjoying The Leftovers a lot. I've been with it from the get-go. A lot of people were sort of alienated by uh, the first season. Um, I've been really on board the whole time. Um, but the elements are working together in Fargo. Um, it's just really blowing me away. So it's a Fargo. Um, and for me, it's anything that isn't Wicked City, but uh, more <laughs> explicitly, uh, I'll split the vote here and I'll give it to The Leftovers. Um, still absolutely loving this season. Uh, but now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our DVD shelf talking about Show Me a Hero. I used to talk about it all the time growing up. The other kids used to call me the mayor. <laughs> really? It wasn't a compliment. <laughs> The city intentionally segregated its housing for 40 years. The whole damn city government's white. This judge wants to take low-income housing and put it here in East Yonkers. The trash, the drugs. We will die from what this idiot is trying to shove down our throat. I live here, and I am nothing like what they describe. So what are you going to do? It's that guy from Yonkers again asking if he can get any help from the state of New York. wanted to live somewhere better, but everything has a cost. It's time you recognized your failure as a leader. Do you want to live where people were angry at you? You know, it's all property values and life and liberty. Underneath it all, it's fear. I played into that fear, too. Been quite a year for you, Mr. Mayor. Justice is not about popularity. 
but politics is. This week at the DVD shelf, we are talking about a miniseries, which is something that we haven't done very much of. Uh, I, I don't know why, because there's a lot of really great miniseries out there, but I think it doesn't come to people's to the forefront of people's minds they want to talk about a series or maybe a, a movie if they're you know our friend of the show steve procopi who are trying to traumatize me with horror uh always a pleasure steve if you're listening um but this week joining me once again from vague uh, visages and pop up dick is max bloodstein and we're gonna be talking about show me a hero so max what made you want to talk about this this miniseries um, well, I've been a David Simon fan for quite some time, like a lot of people. Uh, that's probably not the most interesting way to start on a show for people who watch lots of TV um, to talk about the man who created the sort of de facto greatest show of all time. But um, yeah, um, I find his work to be just extremely empathetic. Um, he's just he's interested in people of different ethnicities and different classes who are in different kinds of uh, labor situations. Um, and that's something that always comes through really strongly in his work. And Show Me a Hero is like, well, on the one hand, is uh, specifically, like, obviously about this uh, housing situation in Yonkers. Um, he manages to weave all of these different stories in that and show how they're by it and um, give consideration to their different concerns and desires. And I found that really powerful. Yeah. The way that it follows these different stories. I remember talking about it on the podcast as I was watching parts one and two and going, why are we following? Like I, like I'm enjoying all of my time with these different people, but I'm still looking for the threat, not realizing that of course, Everybody who wasn't associated with, with Cisco were the characters, basically all the not white people <laughs> were the characters right. we were going to watch get into the housing, um, feeling like an idiot because it was so obvious that I, and I had still <laughs> missed it. Uh, but again, the, the care with regards to these different people and really showing them as fully realized individuals and, and his willingness to let them um, be fallible and also exceptional at various points in their stories. I like, like a, a a lot of writers, a lot of uh, creators would not have, uh, for example, um, oh, I can't remember the character's name, the, the woman who's going back and forth uh, w between New York and the Dominican Republic. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know her name. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but we wouldn't, a lot of, a lot of other creators would not show her going back and forth. They wouldn't have her dither because uh, they wouldn't want to spend the time on making you know really showing her experience and uh they, they would just have her say oh we can't do that be i can't do that because that's not what's best for my kids not actually watch or follow her through as she tries different things trying to find the right balance um for her life and for what what is best for her children and you know that that interest in the daily life of these people as opposed to just how they fit a larger narrative um really sets david simon apart I agree. Um, I was watching, uh, not to get too much on another show, but uh, Narcos I watched this summer. And I, it, to a certain, I mean, it's different. I think it, it's a much more focused narrative than uh, David Simon goes for. But to a certain extent, um, I felt like it was trying to, you know, give a sort of panoramic view of the situation. But I just didn't feel the same kind of empathy and concern for what 
all of the different characters felt that I feel in uh, David Simon's work. Um, so, I mean, that just solidified for me how important um, I think what he does is. I also, I, what I think is so fantastic is how he um, weaves this political context with a dramatic context. They're not mutually exclusive and they shouldn't have to be, but he is like, on the one hand, the story is so, uh, rigorously adhering to um, real life, but it it doesn't um, push back against uh, the dramatic aspects of it. So I think that's really fantastic. And it's also able to have fun with this yep. stuff too, which again, this should be super dry, a super dry topic, but right. And it's it's like you say, it's very he's very interested in keeping this close to the source material uh, and like what actually happened, the kind the characters and everything. At least that's what I've been led to believe by people who know stuff better than I do in regards to this actual, you know, time period and what, what actually happened with the, these housing projects. But, um, uh, but, but then we get like these super, like Alfred Molina just chewing all the scenery as, as Spallone. I mean, like, this, he's also willing to like the show, this mini series is willing to have fun with some of these, uh, very colorful shall we say characters yeah which is something that was so fantastic about the wire as well like it took this uh sort of ambition that seems almost like ridiculously absurd to try and tell like the life and death of this american city and have it like have wider implications for like uh, the war on drugs and like every we don't need to go on about how great the wire is. Um, but while doing all that, the, the wire was still so much fun and so funny and it had all these really lively personalities. And I, I agree that's present here as well. Well, who sticks out to you? Who, 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 I mean, I, a lot of the talks about Oscar Isaac and we will get there. Trust me. Um, yeah. but, but were there other <laughs> uh, performances and other characters that particularly resonated with you? The Alfred Molina one certainly did. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Catherine Keener, I had no idea she was Catherine Keener until I um, checked it out on IMDb. What really knocked me out about that was um, it's the kind of narrative that gets done a lot, at least the arc of sort of like, this is a person who doesn't like people. And then eventually she comes to like people, um, this sort of like redemption arc um that and uh when it gets done i often just find it sort of um hokey and not true to life and not even particularly like encouraging because it just feels so manufactured that manufactured that it it makes it almost like harder to believe that somebody could have that sort of arc um in real life but it was so organically presented and rooted in her character and her performance contributed to that a lot as well. Um, so I found that really moving. Well, and even just getting to see uh, Bruce Altman as the character's husband, just not be an evil guy. He's always cast as right. the evil guy. So, you know, right. you know, just little things like that were also fun in some of the smaller performances. One of the people who really stood out to me was John Barenthal as uh, Sussman, the civil rights attorney. Uh, because of course my, the main things I know him from are the walking dead and mob city, uh, last year and so to see him in such a different role he, he does such a good job with it and I it really made me much more excited to see him pop up in the next few things that he has got coming I, I want to say isn't he going to be 
Punisher or something in Daredevil. I want to say he's, I don't know. He's he's popping up somewhere uh, in one he's of the. In, uh, seen Sicario right now, the uh, film. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. It's just but... nice to see him play kind of a regular guy as opposed to this uh he's it's nice to see him as something other than such a physical presence because i feel like he he does have that so he gets he gets cast in roles that play to that strength but here he's very much uh he he, he's he's a lawyer he's there to argue with people as opposed to be a physical presence and uh it's he's i think he does a good job in the role it's nice to see a different side of him i agree uh the other thing that was really nice and this was a sort of easter egg for wire fans but name it and I didn't even recognize him at first. I had to IMDb that one as well uh, to see him, well, I guess, like 10 years later. Um, I, I just thought that was great. It was a very, very small role. Like he didn't get much to do, but just to see him grown up was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Another fun small role, uh, Jim Belushi as the mayor. Uh, when he pops up, uh, and I like that he's basically right at the beginning when we're all on board with with cisco and uh, and all that that darn jim belushi the mayor doesn't want to even try <laughs> and by the end you know like he he was right uh which doesn't make him less of a maybe undesirable political type but um i thought that was fun and then to have him pop up at the end as well was a nice little bit because in these political circles especially in a particular community you're going to see the same faces over and over again. So I thought that was a neat little element. But uh, really, so much of this does come down to Oscar Isaac as Nick Wasisko. That's the element of the of the series that everybody was talking about before, you know, before it premiered and while it was happening. And for me, the performance lives up to that hype and still it sustains in my memory is one of the high, the, the strongest and most uh, memorable performances of the year, certainly for a miniseries movie, but even just in general. Um, yeah, I thought he was absolutely outstanding um, and like certainly heartbreaking by the end. But um, he's very sort of alive throughout. Um, we were talking about how just how the great all of these characters are, but he, you know, he's strong, um, but he's still like vulnerable. Um it just really comes to life and uh oscar isaac is a big part of that and i just enjoy the way by the end of the miniseries like he's not you it starts out he's this young idealistic kid he's got all these ideas when he realizes what's the right thing is what he needs to do he does it um but then as the miniseries goes on as the character gets more and more in love with his own nobility i guess uh it really lets him be that rounded character and 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 it stops uh it doesn't try to keep you lionize him i guess beyond that he feels more and more just another one of these political guys way more interested in his own uh self-aggrandizement than in any particular situation um that he was any any election or any issue and i really like that the show the miniseries uh is it, it doesn't shy away from maybe taking some of the luster off that character as it, the story continues. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's also been sort of a Simon Hallmark from the get go. Uh, like there are no heroes and this is called show me a hero, but um, he's just, yeah, he's so human. Um, and he, I mean, he's certainly admirable, admirable in a lot of ways, but that doesn't keep him from being not admirable at the same time. And, um, I think, I mean, that 
that sort of uh, writing always impresses me. And um, it's always bold, even if it's like it writers do like these certain, it's not like he's the only one who does it, but uh, it's worth lauding for sure. Now, what were there any elements that were more of a, were there any elements to this miniseries that kind of distanced you or held you back a little bit, or was it pretty much just a love fest for you? Like, is there anything that you think that maybe they could have done better? Um, yeah, the two, not the Catherine Keener character, but the other two sort of main, uh, female characters, his wife and the Winona Ryder character, um, uh, they just seemed sort of there was certain kind of like essentialism going on there, like things that was like because they were women, um, like this is what's happening to them. And David Simon's weakness has always kind of been writing female characters. And um, I think that sort of pervaded on into the show. Um, there was with the wife, there was kind of an element of like the naggy woman who won't let the strong man do his job. Um, and then uh the Winona Ryder character I found sort of like gossipy. Um, and so that was kind of a letdown, but I mean, for me anyway, that's not enough to overshadow how, uh, empathetic he is and how, how good he is at, at taking people so seriously, even if in certain situations he doesn't. Well, that's interesting. Cause I was absolutely on board, especially with the wife. Uh, Vinny, oh. I, I liked Vinny a lot too. I liked, I liked the performance. Um, but the character kind of drops in and out in a way that doesn't allow you to really follow her narrative as much. Uh, but I mean, like every time that, uh, the wife, uh, you know, Mary, uh, Nay says anything, I'm, I'm on her side. So when, <laughs> when Nick is being a dick and screen, like threatening her job, uh, just right. out of his ego and, I, again, I'm fully on board with her. So I think that's interesting that she fell into those tropes for you. Because for me, it was the other, it was absolutely, if anything, it was the other way. It was where she was always right. And he was being this brash, no perspective, um, egocentric uh, character. So that's interesting. Right. That is interesting. I guess I sort of tied him so closely to the housing situation, which was like, so clearly the right thing to do even if like he does become sort of overly political by the end um i mean i i agree that it, it's uh like those consequences are not to be ignored but i i felt like it was setting up this sort of like domestic versus uh office dynamic with the man representing the office and the woman representing domesticity um that sort of bothered me but um i'm glad you liked it yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to have our listeners uh, write in and in let us know what they thought about that because that's that that is an interesting difference in in opinion there. Um, the last thing I wanted to specifically mention was I really like the way they build to that auction for the rooms for the houses for the housing. I should say uh, when they when you're in that room with people and they've done such a good job building up of all, all these different people who could theoretically end up in the housing. I was at the right. edge of my seat really pulling yeah. for the different people. And so when we get to it's, it's Alma, who's the, the mother from the uh, Dominican Republic. Um, and she, uh, when we're, we're looking at who, who's left, who could it be? Is it going to be Billy? Is it going to be like these different people? Um, right. 
that I thought they had they did it was a very effective sequence and when the way that Alma gets in there is because Billy gets kicked out uh, yeah again I thought that, that was such, it would be very easy to just like create a bunch of happy endings there but right they they, they keep it shaded uh, in David Simon specifically that they keep it shaded so that we're more um we we can't just have a fuzzy happy ending no, I, I totally agree. And that scene was actually very powerful to me specifically um, because I'm from New York City originally. And um, there's this whole charter school movement there where um, like these schools are created that have these like uh, complex, like amazing programs for students. Um, and so like hypothetically, kids who might not get these great opportunities um otherwise and then suddenly have are able to do all these amazing like extracurricular things and things with technology and stuff like that but the um sort of uh dark side of that is that not all kids get to do them they have to have these lotteries and um it only ends up being a select few and it's it's certainly nice for the ones who do get it that they're able to have these opportunities but you can't help but think about the ones who don't get them um and to me the the um housing uh lottery works perfectly as an allegory for that whether it was intentional or not did you have any other elements you wanted to mention or uh, we haven't talked about the direction from paul haggis like at all yeah I don't know if you had any other thoughts paul haggis's work i thought was uh restrained um but i I found it very effective. Um, it wasn't like uh, showy the way some like you think of like Carrie Fukunaga in the first season of True Detective, but um, I I did feel like it it was very serviceable. What did you think? Yeah, I think it could be easy for um, some of the direction and the editing choices to feel very heavy handed or didactic, right? And I think they most for the most part avoided that. Um, there, there are a few shots that stick in in my memory, and I mentioned one of them at the time when, um, when Alma is taking her kids, and they have to leave a lot of stuff behind, and the kid goes back for the toy, and then puts right. it back down. Like right, right, right. The pace, like just how long they hold that shot, and giving that beat the resonance it needs without feeling too manipulative. Um, I think I think Haggis does a good job finding that balance for the most part. He he lets the performances shine here and i think that's this is a character and a performance based and kind of fueled miniseries so i think that's a smart choice right the use of music also was fantastic that's uh, one thing i forgot to mention all the springsteen like Mm -hmm. totally set the tone and um music was a sort of a big component on the wire as well even though it was entirely diegetic um and, and you can't say david simon in music and not say treme which is of course one of well, my favorite of shows of nope, the past too. I'm glad 10 you years say that <laughs> that was actually my second choice for the dvd shelf if this one hadn't worked out <laughs> um but uh yeah no for sure um and there i mean it's a bit more explicit because you literally like have people performing and like characters characters performing and the performers being characters um but uh, it's certainly like crucial to the world and like in the, in real life and crucial to the universe of the show. So I thought that was really nicely done. Yeah. Again, 
like I, when this was airing, we were talking on the podcast with former co-host uh, Simon uh, how he he's not a fan of the Springsteen, so he had a little trouble with it. <laughs> but I like Springsteen, so I was good with it. Uh, I I could definitely see it being an element that is it's a very distinct flavor. So you're either going to be on board or it's you're going to maybe not so much. But I, I like that they do so fully ground the show with that that with that choice. And it, it does feel appropriate for these characters and this setting. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> no, I agree. And I, I actually like Springsteen as well. So I'm not a great example of this, but I'd like, even if you don't like hip hop, for example, like the use of hip hop on the wire is like incredibly important for establishing the milieu of the characters. And I, I felt the same way about Springsteen here. Yeah. Well, what are your, what's your final thought on, on show me here? What's your pitch? If people have not, like, they didn't make it the time for this in, uh, you know, this August. What's your pitch for our listeners to check out this miniseries? We, we've avoided spoilers, I think, quite effectively. Right. <laughs> Go team. Uh, yeah. What would you say? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what makes The Wire so great over the course of five seasons is here just in a very condensed form um, in six hours and in a way that doesn't really feel like it short changes anything but um you get this really powerful portrait of these people and the world they live in um in in that short period of time um and it also it it works as both a historical con uh document and a very relevant uh contemporary allegory and so i found that really powerful and in spite of that it it doesn't keep it from being uh, dramatically inert in any way. It's like it maintains that political context uh, without that having to be a negative impact on the drama. So I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, it's um, it, it does what's on the tin. Basically, it follows this character, the central character throughout. You get a really good portrait of that person. But you also it's, it's about these housing projects and you follow them from the pre construction like you follow from the from the first uh decision by the judge that you know judge stands that pushes things forward through the all the controversy and the fallout to people living in them and they do it does it show it follows that arc it follows the arc of that project and the, this town really uh surprisingly succinctly you know this is only six episodes six, six hours long um and I think they do a good job of, of balancing those two things. This, this larger, it's obviously it's nothing like the portrait of a town you get with the wire or, or Treme, of, of course. It's nothing near that. But you do, get, you know, by honing in on just this one element of that town, of, you know, this one project, I think they do a good job, David Simon and the rest of the team over at, at the miniseries do a good job of really getting you invested and interested in a topic that nobody else is interested in talking about. So, uh, <laughs> right. You gotta gotta love David Simon, and uh, and he, I, I look forward to. I know he has a couple other projects coming um, over the next year or two at HBO, and I can't wait to see what he does next. Well, Max, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? I am tweeting over at at mbled two one zero. That's m b l e d two one zero. I'm a contributor to the film and television sections of Pop Optic, and I'm a staff writer at. Vague Visages, where I'm currently weekly reviewing Fargo. 
Excellent. And uh, again, you can find the podcast at popupdick.com. You can email the televerse at gmail.com. You can uh, reach out on Twitter at the televerse to, to get a hold of me. You can find us in Facebook where you can start a conversation. Or, and of course, we're also in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would appreciate ratings and reviews over there. It does help other people find the show. Um, and uh, again, it's I, I always love hearing from listeners, so please do reach out, listeners, and let let me know what you th- thought a few of these of a few of these things. If you watched Wicked City, tell me why. <laughs> uh, I want to know. I want to know as well as some of the other TV this week, and of course, show me a hero. I want to hear from our listeners about the Nick and Nay uh, dynamic because that's really interesting to me. But uh, thank you again so much, Max, for coming Thanks on the for podcast. Having me, Kate. And thank you everyone for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Thank you.